Hello, and welcome to Football Unfocused. We're recording this on St. Patrick's Day, so to our loyal Irish listenership, which I've noticed is dwindling significantly, <laughs> as indeed our entire listenership is, um, but to our entire uh, Irish formerly loyal uh, listenership, happy St. Patrick's Day, and uh, I hope you have a wonderful bank holiday, I believe two bank holidays, in the Republic of Ireland. Uh, this is Football Unfocused. I'm Mark. Matt's there, just staring at the screen. <laughs> oh, wait. How are you, Matthew? <laughs> I'm good, I'm good. Um, yeah, we've also lost our loyal Japanese listenership as well. Well, I think that Japanese listener listened once. No, it's twice. twice. I mentioned this Came I mentioned back. this uh, to back-to-back episodes, and then you started talking about the high levels of... Um, those who take their own lives and yeah and uh and then it's sort of tailed off I mean, after let's that. hope that those there's no connection well, between those yeah two i mean if it was you just just reach out and just say i'm okay i mean you don't have to yeah, listen please, to this get anymore <laughs> get gets in touch it's just yeah. just yeah. to know that it wasn't us that <laughs> no no yeah just for our own uh peace of mind. Uh, yeah. We really shouldn't be so jocular about such no, a serious I know. subject. Maybe, but maybe I'll the trouble is, how are we going to reach out to somebody who no longer listens to the podcast? We have no contact details. We know the people <laughs> who listen to this. We're massive in <laughs> yeah, Spain. We We're massive in Spain. Uh, the loyal Gibsard and Aero Axis uh, that listen to this, and, and I'm assuming some someone else in that or, or an extension of that access maybe i think that family are just, spreading the word in spain they, yeah or maybe they just accidentally hit play twice and that that can sometimes mm, double the I'm, I'm hoping the more that the the kids are spreading the word in their respective schools and uh you know we're we're now very really really popular with the under 10s yeah, we're probably part of their English language lessons or something. Maybe, yeah. The dynamic. <laughs> you could do a, a, a deep dive of the sort of dynamic between us. Uh, we're also big in the West Coast. <laughs> what that involve? You know, I, I mean, I don't know, Matthew. I'm not smart enough to know how to plan and prepare a, a GCSE English lesson uh, or even a primary oh, right. school English lesson. But I'm sure there's something that they could learn from it. Um, we're big <laughs> on the West Coast of the United States as well due to... Uh, my man Sean out there, keep keep fighting the good fight, Sean, and uh, keep spreading the word. You know, I hope yes. that it will go up and down that West Coast from uh, uh, Seattle at the top to the Mexican Trump wall border at the bottom <laughs> by the end of this year. And and you are responsible for for that spread, Sean, so uh, entirely. So Matthew, we've we've um, we've uh, celebrated your birthday, so we won't. Um, we won't go on about that anymore. You've milked uh, enough uh, out of that. Uh, that you know, teat. You've had, you've had, you know, people visiting you, buying you drinks, all sorts of stuff like that, giving <laughs> the impression that you mean something to us. But I just want, I want to get you back down to earth now. Um, no, let's okay. lower our self-esteem. Uh, <laughs> Matt, Did you feel it got a bit out of hand at the weekend? Yeah, just there's too much love. It's people, too much nice. Yeah, I don't like it. I don't like it. And anyway. <laughs> Let's go back to. Despite knowing you for uh, all these all these years, I still feel that there's there's things about you that I I just don't understand or don't yet know. Matthew, a few weeks ago, we learnt that you enjoy original source original source uh, uh, shower gel. Yeah. What's your go to shampoo? <laughs> um. So I, I, I think I get a bit of dandruff. So, um, 
I mean, Joe sometimes sort of like a, you know, like when monkeys kind of take the ticks off each other, <laughs> she sometimes has to like just just pick out the little, well, I guess it's dead skin, isn't it? I yeah. mean, effectively. So I do use head and shoulders. Yeah. Um, and I think, I, do, I assume it works, but if I, you know, I, I just like to be sure, hedge my bets. Even Did if... You- now, yeah, this is a slightly sensitive issue because I'm assuming your your lack of clarity around the extent of your dandruff might be due to the struggle to actually see the follicles. Uh, so that's that's understandable. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, yeah. But, but if, when your eyes were a bit stronger than they currently are, uh, could you see? Did you? I mean, how long is this this affliction? Of I dandruff? don't. Yeah. Did it coincide? <laughs> Does it predate your battle, your brave battle with athlete's foot? Uh, um, I think it doesn't predate it. Yeah. But but Joe. You know, it is is it. We are quite a contrast in that she has very like pin sharp eyesight, and mine is obviously I mean, all over the place. Just as well, isn't it? Yeah, I know. Nice. And so, um, yeah. So I guess since we've been going out, and once she became more comfortable, you know, picking out the the dandruff from my head, she yeah. has and all your other done faults it. picking up your faults. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. But yeah, Literally she's. Picking she, yeah, I th- she she does it. I think with love, but mm, you, hope. you know, I hope. But yeah. otherwise, it's like passive aggressive, isn't it? It's anyone. Like... If you ever find yourself on the singles market, you could use this podcast to really sell yourself as a man with <laughs> you know poor eyesight, dandruff, and an, and an athlete's foot. Uh, <laughs> so you know, form an orderly queue, ladies or gents. Uh, <laughs> And and uh, also, uh, actually, one thing I, I haven't asked, and as a, as a sub question, um, how's your um, how are your um, uh, my testes? How are your bollocks? Yeah, um, is there an update? So I need to give another sample. I don't know why. I th- so I mentioned to you at the weekend that um, the reception from the GP rang. Yes, and she said we need another sample, which kind of seemed to raise a red flag. I was like, oh. Why? What's happened? But she says, "I'll oh, just give it in two weeks," which seemed to suggest that they just wanted to be sure that nothing yeah. was untoward. But because I would have thought, if it was urgent, they would have just said, "Come in now and give another you sample." Certainly would think so. But maybe they're just like, "Oh, this guy's you know his, his days are numbered. We'll just go through the." <laughs> Tick box exercise. Well, I don't think it works you know, like that. They just think, no, oh, well, that's get, this, right. get this guy in in his own time. I mean, he's, he's, <laughs> he's, he's fucked, uh, but he doesn't know that yet. Yeah, He'll yeah. Find out when yeah, find out one way or another. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. I don't think it's. So, I'm not. I'm, I'm sure. I know the NHS is very stretched, but I'm sure it hasn't quite got to that stage yet. <laughs> but they're consciously not bothering giving people terrible news. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, so I think it's fine. I know we keep joking that. We hope it is fine because otherwise this is quite poor taste. But but I'm sure things are fine. Yeah, and, and say- I'm not gay. I did actually think it was. I think the cause of the pangs of shooting pain that I was getting was because of a particular cycling bib shorts that I was wearing, mm. and I don't think they were quite fitted right. Would Maybe you like I wore name them. And shame them for our cycling fans. Uh, uh, yeah, C- Castelli. So uh, yeah, Castelli bib shorts, which are quite. Expensive bitch shorts. I mean, admittedly, I did get them second hand, but mm. 
well, I don't know if that was maybe <laughs> maybe there's something in the previous owners. Um, One of Shammy. our most loyal listeners, uh, Mr. Philip Gibbs, who I've already cited as a key part of our Madrid demographic, <laughs> yeah. uh, is a, a fanatical um, follower of cycling. Um, I would like his feedback specifically on your your anecdote there and Much, the quality of yeah. those shorts. And as a further push to follow us on Twitter at, at f unfocused. That's at <laughs> f unfocused. Do tweet us your feedback, uh, uh, Philip, <laughs> rather than any other type of feedback which doesn't add to our thickness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, does it? Matthew. Yeah, that gives the impression that we're listening back to Back to the, the, the questions at- in hand. Right. We've covered, you know, on staying on the hair subject, how often... Have we done two questions now? Yeah, That's this is two. question two. Oh, Matthew, no. how often do you have your hair cut? Uh, that's quite so once um, about once a month although I did I don't know if you noticed um, so last weekend so on the Friday last Friday I got a beard trim which I haven't that cost 14 quid that beard trim (laughs) which is felt quite expensive I mean that's more than my haircut real world that's incredibly uh, cheap for a beard trim yeah Okay, really? Where did you get that done? At the Turkish Barbers. In Manchester um, or Glossop? Glossop, Right, yeah. yeah. So you're playing, you're playing and, Glossop prices there. I mean, if yeah, you go well, into that, Manchester, that, it'd that, probably been more than 20 quid, I reckon. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah. And they also, um, they they wax my nostril hairs. and um, They wax and, them? Yeah, I know. That's full on, With, I know. You know, you do need <laughs> some nostril hairs in order to prevent infection. Yeah, so I don't think I'll do that again. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> and, he, and, and he gave me the ear burn. Yeah, okay. But, but how often do you get your hair cut? Uh, uh, yeah, so once a month. And I, I don't think I'll bother with the, um, the beard so trim. you like to keep feature. it short. Yeah, your hair always looks the same length every time I see you. You never seem to let it, let it I know. Grow. I, I should, yeah, I should let it grow Even a bit more. Even in a more. lockdown. It's because I think it, my hair looks worse. <laughs> Again, this is one for the ladies, but um, I've got a, a sort. My hair is receding slowly, and if I have it too long, it just looks like um, Matt Fryer, Matt Freyer, Fryer from Channel Four News. Incredible. He, he he's got to a, a, a newsreader in his sixties. Yeah, and if I <laughs> if I grow my hair too long. I feel it looks like it long, that. not cover up the uh, the receding. Or Andrew Marr. Andrew yeah. Marr. So is it quite uh, thin then? Like the as in not thin, going thin. As in, <laughs> is your hair thin generally? Like yeah, yeah, I think it's also thin, which probably again doesn't help. That it makes it harder long. to cover the cover the cracks. I'd imagine. Yeah, I think I'll, when I when it properly goes down, I'll just go for a savage avid and just pick yeah. pick everything. I love that your point of reference for a completely smooth bald head is uh Savage Javid the uh <laughs> was he now Holmes uh, ha- foreign secretary isn't he no he's not he's health secretary health secretary that's it yeah I get confused with these fucking Tories <laughs> I, don't, I don't care what they do they're, they're all doing a shit job running something <laughs> so it's just you know he used to be chancellor didn't he anyway uh, he did, yeah. uh so you found a time. new you found a new uh barber up north that's that's a piece of my to us all, I'm sure. Final <laughs> question. When was the last time you paid for something in cash? Uh, I think... Um, 
Oh, I put a pound into a trolley at Audi recently. That's not paying. That, you get that, that back. Is that not paying? Because I didn't get it back. for something in cash. Walking into a shop, handing over a note or a coin to pay for something. I probably put some money in a charity. That's not paying either. It's not paying. Paying for a product. It's a very simple oh. question. I don't know. You don't, you'll have to send me these questions in advance. Uh, so I it's think. that long ago that you can't remember. When did you pay for something? I, I went up the chippy when I got back from Manchester last oh. Sunday, and you have to pay cash in there. Oh, yeah, I didn't get that. I just took some of yours. Yeah, I didn't buy any chips. No, I'm not I'm, <laughs> I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when I got home on Sunday. Oh, you also had another portion father. of chips. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I proper fish and chips to make up for the, the uh, disappointment of my McTuckies chicken burger and chips on Saturday night. I'll admit it wasn't the most healthy of weekends, but uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's not going to be. And you it? said chips up north were amazing. Yeah, and, but they're not even late night chicken was... shop, are they? I'm talking generally about proper chippies. I'm not talking like about, donkeys. you know, we can all distinguish between a proper chippy and a yeah, yeah. late night chicken shop. Well, most of us can, Matthew. <laughs> right, football. So yes. lots lots been going on. Very eventful um, week can, in terms can I... Oh, Can yeah, I just on. say that you, you? I don't. I didn't feel like you believed me the other week when I said to you that you genuinely said about December time that uh, Man City are going to win the league. I still think Man City are going to win the league. Yeah, I still yeah. stand by that. But what well, I didn't say is that nobody, I, else, Liverpool, don't have a chance. That, yeah, that's, yeah. That's a ludicrous thing to but say. There and there is, are lots of people it, who were. It's saying getting that. really close now. Oh yeah, and you, yeah. And I know you are possibly prone to for your own kind of morale or i don't know sense of uh yeah do you like to keep things in perspective you don't yeah, want to get I do, over and excited. i never i don't i don't I try not to get over excited and i don't well firstly a reason not to get over excited is because why would you why would you kind of do that to yourself and give you that level of kind of disappointment also if you if you're one of those idiots who starts shouting from the rooftops <laughs> we're gonna do this we're gonna do that you give yeah you give others the opportunity to gloat when it all goes wrong why would you do that why on earth would anyone yeah. do that um but also i'm just a i'm just somebody who i don't regard myself as a pessimist in life but i am a pessimist when it comes to i think the more you want something the, the more pessimistic probably you are because you you tell yourself that it can't nothing could be that good you know and i i think i think this if if liverpool were to win the league this year uh this season uh it would probably be even more satisfying than winning it, breaking the 30-year wait in 2020, because that year we were so far ahead of everyone else, like so far ahead. We didn't we didn't actually need... Um, if we'd come back after the break for the pandemic and not got another point, bear in mind that that pandemic um, break in force was in uh, mid to late March. We didn't actually... We, we, we could have come out, lost all our games and still won the league. That's how far mm. ahead we were. Uh. Everyone else. Mental how far ahead. And we got uh, 99 points that year. We can't. We we can't actually get that many points. I think the most we can get is ninety six. But th- this year would be for me the most satisfying because nobody was giving us a chance at the beginning of the season, and it would be ultimate vindication of how little uh, the pundits know, particularly the ones who essentially are Old Trafford client journalists um, who year after year peddle <laughs> the usual sycophantic nonsense about just based on oh Alex Ferguson was there once and they were doing really well for all that time, therefore. They'll, you know, this will be their season, and 
you know, without, again, I've made this point so many times, it's dull, but like without <laughs> once looking back and going, hold on, what, what happened to Liverpool when they fell away? What were they doing? Oh, they were banging on about the past the whole time and how they could very easily get back to it. All oh, right, and they kept making sentimental appointments and and you know overpaying for players and on that. And I mean, their problems are way way bigger than anything we ever had because uh, we were kind of throughout that period kind of always on the on the fringes of the fight and on and on, on occasions right in the in the middle of the fight. Whereas they are becoming complete also rounds and five years without a trophy for the most expensive this is the th- this is the point I made to you last week big club is currently four fifth isn't a story big club is currently four fifth when they are the most expensively assembled squad in the history of football and when everyone who who has a access to a bloody typewriter has any sort of article anywhere or or as a microphone access will tell you that they're the you know the biggest club in the history of the universe despite only ever winning the world's biggest football trophy three times in their history um so yeah uh that's why it's a a, um, a a big story and clearly you know they've they've had another disappointing week and you know my heart goes out to them um <laughs> I, you know i just hope, i just hope they're going to be okay uh and, and and you talk about you talk about um uh how Liverpool in 2020 didn't need another point when they came back out of the pandemic. We are now, today's the 17th of March, and even if Liverpool lose every game for the rest of the season, we'll, we've still had a better season than uh, a, a certain a multi-billion pound club from uh, from the Salford area because we've won a trophy. Um, <laughs> and, and we won 5-0 at Old Trafford, which is unlikely to happen, the reverse fixture at Anfield. We might lose that game, could well lose that game, but I don't think it's going to be 5-0. <laughs> but anyway, I want to talk about Chelsea, Matt. Um, and uh, it's pretty obvious that I suppose, to an extent, you know, predictable the kind of line we're going to go down. But a week now, when we, when we, when we recorded the podcast last week, they'd only just kind of announced that uh, Roman Abramovich was having sanctions uh, against him. Uh, implemented and that that would have a, a knock-on effect on Chelsea and indeed all the rest of his businesses. And I, I think at the time of recording, we were aware that um, that it was going to have an impact on Chelsea's ability to trade, the, the, the amount of money that they would have to spend on um, travel and away trips and accommodation and even sell additional tickets that hadn't already been sold. But in the kind of intervening week, there's been an awful lot of noise, isn't there? An awful lot of chat, and the Chelsea fans themselves have had the opportunity to express their their point of view. And I mean, before I tell you what I, th- I mean, do you, do you have an opinion on this, uh, Matthew? As you know, kind of look, be it ethically, politically, sporting wise. I mean, what what are you? Um, yeah, so I mentioned the other week. I did feel um, that Thomas Tuchel had was slightly evasive, even though I do feel very sorry for him. Um, uh, I think, you know, he he took the job in the same way you might take a, you know, I mentioned a job at a, a, you know, big tobacco firm or a, you know, betting company or something like that. So Mm -hmm. you kind of know what, you know, (laughs) who your bedfellows are. Uh, But I did read a quite, you know, an article in the... uh, in the times and it did they came down very much in favor of Thomas Tuchel I think he has come out a bit stronger since that sort of first 
sort of a couple of weeks ago, that interview when um, Russia had just invaded Ukraine. Um, And I think he's possibly come out a bit stronger now. And she was contrasting uh, his sort of, he clearly had done his homework. He, you know, he was was quite eloquent in, you know, describing the horrific situation in in Ukraine, um, and contrasting that with the slightly more, you know, frivolous uh, problems at Chelsea with what Eddie Howe was doing, which was basically saying he he basically wanted to have nothing to do with, you know, he just wanted to talk about football. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and she felt that he probably should have done his homework a bit more. Just at the very least, had a had a a stock response um, that kind of you know. Well, that's actually in keeping with when you hear uh, that lion woman who uh, owns Newcastle or is the representative of Newcastle. The lion. Uh, well, I mean, she looks extraordinarily like a lion, and uh, I mean, I've never seen anything like it. I suspect that at some stage she is just going to start eating the. I believe it's her husband. Um, the guy sits next to her at the games because I mean, she you know she's dangerous. Um, uh, but I, lion woman gave. I think it was like a, a financial times summit thing a couple of weeks ago where she was, she's one of a few people even remotely connected to football who I've heard kind of speaking out in favor of oligarchs over the last few weeks or saying that she didn't think that, um, the, the ownership of sporting institutions should be detrimentally affected by the behavior of their nation states. But of course she's going to say that because of all people in football, she's, she stands to benefit from football having that approach because she's a representative of an absolutely barbaric, um, women-hating, LGBT-hating, journalist-murdering regime that is reprehensible in every conceivable way and, in my opinion, shouldn't ha- shouldn't be allowed to get anywhere near owning a, a, a Premier League or, indeed, any uh, football club outside of their own nation-state. Um, but I suppose the difference between Newcastle and Chelsea currently is that... Because they're very much in the same ballpark but Newcastle's problems can be kicked down the road a, a certain to a certain extent and it's probably wrongly because for, for you know reasons that I'm sure we could go into and talk all day about that the, their relentless Saudi Arabia's relentless bombing of Yemen seems to be less of a pressing issue in the sort of you know the moral uh and and, and media kind of compass uh, than the invasion of Ukraine which I suppose is inevitably due to, you know, proximity and you know the fact that we're on so close to NATO, etc. But you know, so and it is it is kind of bordering on futile to kind of compare Chelsea and and Newcastle in that respect. Suffice to say, they're both you know gr- grubby when it comes to ownership, and there is of course sympathy with employees of, of football clubs. That are like that, especially at the moment, the Newcastle are in a situation where they've only just been taken over. So probably ninety-five percent of the people who work for Newcastle were there before September, when these um, um, you know bloodthirsty warmongers and human rights abusers took over their club with their flashy PR uh, message to the rest of the world and their sports washing agenda. Um, Chelsea's different because Abramovich w- w- was from day one incredibly clever in terms of the way that he attempted to distance himself from uh, a regime that he was very clearly, from anyone who bothered to actually look at it, from day one, inextricably uh, linked to. Um, and as I said, I think either last week or the week before, he's, he's the, the cleverest thing he's done, really, since 
buying uh, Chelsea 19 years ago. He's saying nothing. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't communicate. He, if he does so, it'll be through a, a sort of press release or through his apologist chairman, uh, Bruce Buck. Um, but my issue here is you can you can you can have sympathy with individuals, particularly the kind of lower ranking employees of a club. But even Thomas Tuchel is just an employee. He's not even the, he's not even close to being the most senior representative of Chelsea. He's just the, the coach of the team. And Chelsea have had about twenty of them in the uh, in the Abramovich era, so they're they're to a penny. And all right, he's really successful at the moment, but his voice is really relatively insignificant, apart from for people who kind of want to hear it. Um, but the important people are um, Maria Granitskaya and Bruce Buck, who have been uh, propping up uh, Abramovich from for for a long time, not from day one, because I think initially they went and nabbed Peter Kenyon, didn't they, from from Old Trafford? My 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 problem here is that I totally understand and respect how people want to keep political and moral issues out of football and football to be a bit of escapism and a bit of fun, but at the same time. Football isn't that, really, is it? It is. It is dominated by big business, and it is um, invested in by people who have clear motives to achieve their their political and business aims through that investment. Even if it's not to necessarily make the profit from the club, it's people who are that wealthy that they can use it as a as a kind of PR exercise, or you know, a way a, a means to get from A to B, launder money, whatever the, whatever the case may be. Now, again, I think I touched on this last week, but it really is worth making the point that in 2003, when Roman Abramovich appeared seemingly from nowhere, the famous stories of he was going to interested in, I think it was Tottenham, wasn't it, and happened to be flying across London and saw Stamford Bridge and quite fancied that. And obviously it's in a more affluent part of London that would be more in keeping with the oligarch lifestyle. Um, and yeah, that, that's his connection to Chelsea he buys Chelsea really really quick deal and all of a sudden they become the biggest club uh, so not biggest club let's not make that mistake you don't become a big club just because you have money you become a, um, a a rich club so they were the richest club pretty much in the world overnight and they started a huge um, lavish uh, splurge of buying uh, players from here there and everywhere and within two years they were Premier League champions if I totally get the temptation, if you're particularly if you're a long-suffering supporter of a club, to kind of bury your head in the sand a little bit and say, "Okay, well, let's not worry about where the money come from," and and to do the classic shifting thing, as we we've often discussed about, "Oh, but it's it's no worse over there, and they're no better." But I'd I'd really think in this case it isn't, and that's just not that's just not a good enough argument because there aren't any other clubs that are owned by oligarchs that have been propped up by Vladimir Putin that have uh, acquired their money through stealing from the uh, the Russian people and you know corrupt deals all sorts of intimidation and as the information is now coming to light it's it's patently obvious that Abramovich has had not just a kind of a, a bubbling around in the background role but quite a leading role even I've heard suggestions that he has been a person required to rubber stamp political appointments by by Putin so that Putin's actually going to him for approval so this is clearly an incredibly powerful man who has had his um his uh, tentacles all over the kind of Russian um regime for all of these years and the most obvious way of, of kind of proving that is that he still has his money and his freedom because anyone who's been uh, defying Putin all of the oligarchs uh, over that period of time have had are either dead 
or in jail or have had all their money taken away from them and Abramovich has just got stronger and stronger and stronger. Now I've heard Chelsea fans on various kind of media sources over the last couple of weeks, particularly the the last week, there was one in particular that really um, sort of summed it up for me. He called up uh, Five Live around this time last week and he was going into this big old... It wasn't even a football phone-in thing. It was, it was you know, the, it was like Nicky Campbell <laughs> or someone because obviously it's so... Because it's so... Um, uh, top, you know, it's, it's headline news. And it was all with a caveat that this is a minor problem. The troubles of one football club are as a consequence of a much bigger problem, a humanitarian disaster, and that's what we should be focusing on. But, you know, this is still going to affect a big sporting institution in this country. And they were, you know, backwards and forwards. And this guy phones up and he says... This, the essence of his argument was, I don't think it's fair that uh, Chelsea should suffer. Chelsea have done nothing wrong. Um, uh, Roman Abramovich is a good guy who's put a lot of money into Chelsea and given a lot of people a lot of joy. I don't know any of the details. He actually said, I don't know any of the details. And that's the problem. That the people who are kind of defending him and still putting up Russian flags with his name in at, at, at Stamford Bridge and singing his name disgracefully during moments of reflection <laughs> for the people of Ukraine, um, the people who are doing that are, are making a conscious decision to focus on this guy, this lovely fella, this benevolent fella who's come along and bought their football club and turned them from completely bog average also rands who have moments of of um of success which is exactly what they were uh when he took i mean let's you know again this is one of those arguments that over the last 20 years you you get accused of kind of being bitter and angry when you make but it is a fact chelsea won the fa cup in 1997 i don't think before then they'd won um a single trophy for uh, 25 26 years and they won the uh, the fa cup in I think it was 1971, was it? And and or 70 because Arsenal won the double in 71, didn't they? Uh, and then the Cup Winners' Cup um, the year after, and that's it. And they even spent uh, some time in the 80s in the, in the second division. They won the FA Cup in 1997, uh, and then during that little period of time when they were getting you know uh, a, a better quality coaches, Glenn Hoddle, then Rude Hullet, Gianluca Vialli, and then they won the Cup Winners' Cup and the League Cup and another FA Cup in 2000, the last cup final at Wembley. Uh, they were nowhere near winning the league. They had the odd spell where they were threatening a little bit, but nowhere near it. They won the league in the early 1950s and got pretty much nowhere near it since they weren't regarded as, or have never been regarded as even one of the big clubs in London. Tottenham, Arsenal and West Ham are the traditional three giants of, of, of London football in terms of fan base. And they've been completely transformed. They've won 19 trophies in 19 years, you know, a minimum of one trophy per year. They've won two Champions Leagues, five uh, League Cups. They're the current, uh, sorry, five Premier Leagues. They're the current um, World Club champions. And that is due to Russian money. And you, you, can, you can accuse people of being as partisan and bitter and all that as you like, but it is very simple. Much I, you know, it's no secret I'm not a big fan of Manchester United, right? But if Manchester United were suddenly taken over tomorrow by somebody like Roman Abramovich, and then they won, you know, ten of the next twelve league titles, let's just say, at least you could say, well, okay, they were already a hugely successful 
monolithic organisation, one of the biggest football institutions in the world. And, you know, this investor just came along and added something that was already there. With Chelsea, they went from a six and a half out of ten in terms of um, success. So let's just be generous and say in the five or six years before the investment, uh, four out of ten or three out of ten in terms of achievement for the 20 years prior to that to a kind of 10 out of 10 trophy every season. And and as I think Jamie Carragher made the point the other day, saying that these Chelsea fans are kind of getting on their high horse at the moment about um, potential, the potential of other clubs now kind of vulturing around for their players and even their manager. And the hypocrisy of that is absolutely staggering. Because when they first got their money, they were trying to take every... You know, they tried to famously, obviously, take Steven Gerrard from Liverpool and thankfully failed. They took Manchester United's chief executive, Peter Kenyon. You know, we talk... we You know, the biggest club in the world brand. At that time, they actually would have had a, a, a reasonable claim to be, certainly in financial terms, uh, the biggest club in the world. And the level of domestic... I, I say domestic success that they were having. They're still very much European failures. Uh, and always have been for a club of that size. Um, but uh, they still managed to get the chief executive away from, uh, you know, just throwing money at everything, taking star players, you know, t- taking the best players away from, uh, you know, their, their domestic and, and continental rivals and building a, uh, you know, a kind of um, almost a Galactico style squad, you know, what, uh, a couple of years after Real Madrid had done a similar thing. And that's Real Madrid. Real Madrid probably are the biggest club in the world. They certainly are in terms of their achievement, their history, their you know, absolutely everything, the amount of times they've won the, the Champions League slash European Cup. So to now complain that potentially the same thing could be happening to you when, when, they, when you smell weakness is, is showing a, a kind of a deliberate naivety and taking offence to a market that you yourselves have benefited from for, for years. And it just it just staggers me. Whether you like it or not, you make a choice when you decide to continue to go out your way to follow a club when they've taken their money from those sorts of means. And I know it's the easiest thing in the world to say, and I hope it's never put to the test, but I will always support Liverpool. I'll always support Liverpool. I'll always want Liverpool to win. But if we were taken over by... A, um, a regime with the human rights records or the, the kind of shady history of an Abramovich or the Saudi Arabian cartel, I genuinely would stop going. I know it's easy to say, but I, I really genuinely would. I would stop going. I would still... I don't think I could stop myself from watching their games and wanting them to win in terms of seeing them on telly and stuff because ultimately the club is still the club and you can't... You know, it's a massive part of your, your emotion as much as anything else your, in terms of the connection. But... I, I I wouldn't go. I wouldn't continue to bankroll that. I just couldn't, in all good faith, look myself in the mirror and continue to do that. There are things that are more important than you know getting that fix on a on a on a Saturday afternoon. Now, if you've decided to stick with that and to support that, that's your personal choice, and you've got to live with that. But to just say that you won't have the discussion because sport is separate is the most unbelievable cop out, and it's it's bullshit. It's cowardly. You can't on one hand say that my heart goes out to the people of the Ukraine. Say, but oh, please leave alone the, um, you know, the multi-billionaire who bankrolls our club and who has uh, helped keep Vladimir Putin in power, a power of tyranny for 20 years when he's been going around the world, you know, poisoning people with uh, polonium on the streets of of, of, of foreign cities and having um, journalistic and political opponents gunned down in the street. That's a regime that Roman Abramovich is linked to. So don't 
don't be coming out with all this bollocks about, oh, but that's a separate thing. I'm a Chelsea fan. I'm not a Roman Abramovich fan. It's bullshit. They are two of the same. And if you continue to glory in the success, then you have to take the shit when it hits the fan. You absolutely have to. In exactly the same way as you... As a consumer, you make a choice. Now, I admit, I'm I'm probably a little bit more hardline about these things than most people who just enjoy their lives. Whereas I'm I'm one of these. I don't, for example, spend any money with Amazon unless I absolutely have to, unless it's unavoidable. I won't because to me, again, they are a, 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 a dangerously overpowerful tax avoiding um, regime that are destroying so much about. Life, you know, I mean, you know, um, the high street and all, all of those types of things. And I don't care if it's cheaper. I'd rather pay more and live with myself by helping the local bookshop rather than the ones that are not paying, you know, not paying tax and using their power to, to leverage that. I try not to buy products from certain other global manufacturers. You know, I don't, you know, I, I've never spent money on an Apple product, for example, because I think that there's lots of things about Apple that I, I'm incredibly uncomfortable with. McDonald's, you know, I, 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 if I'm going to get a fast food chain takeaway, I'll I'll take myself to KFC or Burger King. I'm sure there's awful things about those places as well, but there's something about McDonald's, the funding of the Republican Party, their push for minimum wage and all that sort of, to, to pay below the minimum wage lobbying in uh, the United States that just sicken me so I can't in all good faith then go oh that's all terrible but I'll have a Big Mac because I like the taste of it now I know other people do and that's their choice but you can't you know literally have your cake and eat it which is what Chelsea fans seem to be trying to suggest that they can do at the moment you've chosen to support a club that is run by a morally uh, rep- and ethically reprehensible regime you've had 20 years or the best part of to glory in that and now it's payback time and, you know, they've been playing with fire. Time for a bit of burning, I'm afraid. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, and, 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 and just very quickly to end, the way in which they then, in the space of about four hours this week, what a PR disaster, because they're not allowed to sell tickets for games that were not on sale prior to the sanctions. They've got an away game against Middlesbrough, who've done absolutely nothing wrong and have knocked out Manchester United and Tottenham to get to the FA Cup quarter-final. Heroic performance from a championship side. They've got a, you know, a sell-out stadium at the weekend for the, for the fixture. People will be tremendously excited about that, coming from all over the country, maybe even all over the world. For Chelsea to try and get that played in front of an empty stadium on the basis that if they're not allowed to bring any away fans, then no one should see it. It back, goes back to the argument of why should we be punished when no one else is punished? Because no one else took money from Roman Abramovich, and you did. So you have to live with the consequences. And if that means that if you get to the Champions League final this year, none of your fans can go, or if that means for the rest of the knockout games in any competition this year, you can't sell tickets to your fans because your club are not allowed to make money because that's how reprehensible your owner is. Tough luck. I'm sorry, there are people with bigger problems out there, and you've decided to get into bed with this man and there's a cost and it's not the fault of the average fan but at the same time everyone has a choice as a consumer and you've chosen to continue to align yourself with this individual and that's what happens when you do so on that ranty bombshell it's time to say uh goodbye for another week uh take care and see you next time on the world's greatest podcast football unfocused